0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Behind the Numbers. This is the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a senior director at CFGI. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that is certainly relevant and oftentimes misunderstood. I'm talking about the concept of stakeholder capitalism. And I'm pleased to welcome as my guest today Bruce Bolger, who is the founder of the Enterprise Engagement Alliance. Bruce, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks
1: a lot, Dave. It's
0: pleasure to be here. Bruce, let's uh, kick off by telling the audience a little bit about who you are and uh, the EEA, if you wouldn't
1: mind. Yeah, my name is again Bruce Bolger. I'm founder of the Enterprise Engagement Alliance, which was created in 2008 based on 10 years of overwhelming research that organized that have a strategic and systematic focus on the needs of all their stakeholders actually outperform companies that focus more narrowly on the short-term results for shareholders. So at that point, the research was so compelling, we really needed to create an implementation framework. Okay, this sounds great. How do you engage the entire enterprise? So we endeavored and we succeeded in creating a formal uh, curriculum and certification process, and if you will, a a Sig Sigma approach to achieving your goals through people.
0: That sounds good. Uh, let's start with, if you wouldn't mind, the concept of engagement. It's in the name of your organization. Employee engagement is something that everybody talks about and trying to harness it for the discretionary effort. And I think that's a good springboard for the discussion of stakeholder capitalism. But if you wouldn't mind, let, let us all understand from your perspective, what is engagement, how it's defined, and, and the obvious, why does it matter?
1: Well. You know, what we define it as is fostering the proactive involvement of everybody who can help you achieve your organizational goals. And if you will, if you're a CEO or an owner, imagine if everybody felt the same way about your organization that you do what type of actual incremental benefit would you achieve and that was not measurable in the past so it was considered a warm and fuzzy almost like a religion so those companies that believed in it like um, herb kelleher the founder of southwest airlines Uh, And um, Mackey, who founded Amazon, uh, pardon me, not Amazon Whole Foods, they believed in it. But it couldn't be proved. Well, now it can be proved, as you know, Dave, uh, you're an expert in this area. Um, There is a true ROI. uh, And so the difference is now, the concept of engagement is that you have a strategic and systematic approach to engaging the entire enterprise in your vision and making everybody feel like owners, even if they're not.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. And the term strategic and systematic is something that I've heard you say a million times. And I'm sure we're going to kick that around in the conversation uh, that's about to follow here. But let's jump into this whole idea of stakeholder capitalism. Uh, It's a term that's often misunderstood. And and I've written about the idea that uh, maximizing shareholder value as a long-term strategy uh, probably isn't the most effective way to think about growing a business enterprise. Can you help us to understand, Bruce, What really is the definition of stakeholder capitalism? Because it it has become somewhat of a political football.
1: Well, uh, that's really unfortunate because, as you know, Dave, anything in this country that becomes politicized, it's a disaster. You know, the whole concept of ISO standards, which in many ways that's the International Organization for Standardization, is to have a sensible, pragmatic, fact-based, unemotional approach to things. And that's the spirit with which we bring Uh, to stakeholder capitalism and there is no clear definition And, and so we have this national debate developing Um, You know, candidate uh, Biden uh, mentions the concept uh, in his economic plan and bashes the traditional concept of shareholder engagement, which of course enraved uh, certain people on the right. Uh, Karl Rove actually exploded on a Chris Wallace show several weeks ago about this notion of stakeholder capitalism being creeping socialism. And Chris Wallace looked, rarely you would ever see this and Chris Wallace, he looked like a deer caught in the headlights. He'd never heard of stakeholder capitalism. What is this, and what is Karl Rove all upset about? Well, very simply, stakeholder capitalism is really another way of saying the principles of enterprise engagement. It's about achieving your organizational goals by fostering the involvement of all of your stakeholders. You know, shareholders know darn well that without, and customers, without employees, without distribution partners, without supply chains, without friendly communities, a business is gonna be thwarted in in optimizing its performance. So it's just, uh, as a Rebecca Henderson, a professor at Harvard, uh, said recently, she said, if you define stakeholder capitalism as addressing the needs of all stakeholders, it's just good business. So this notion of creeping socialism is absurd. Now, there are reasons why people are opposed to it that I don't think are being addressed totally, and we can talk about that if you'd like.
0: Yeah, let, let's do that. I mean, where, where's the confusion lie?
1: I don't think it's so much confusion as fear. Um, shareholder capitalism is based on really short-termism. You know, there are two ways to make your money. There's the grasshopper and there's the ant, right? Uh, the grasshopper hops from opportunity to opportunity. And I hate to say it, but that's the, uh, the share, grasshopper capitalists have hurt the brand of capitalism because what they do is they suck wealth. They hop from opportunity to opportunity, they slash costs, cut R&D, pay themselves big uh, exorbitant amounts of money, private equity fees, lawyer fees, uh, and meanwhile suck wealth out of things. Now, they they achieve results for shareholders, and you know what? If it's legal, I think they should be allowed to do it. I don't believe it should be outlawed. Let the market decide who you'd rather do with I think the other type of capitalism is that is the, is the capitalist he says you know what I don't want to make money making them customers unhappy underpaying employees running up lawsuits having safety problems kicking environmental risks down the road I'd rather make money in a way that's more that gets everybody excited so I I think capitalism and free markets allow for a choice and I say let's let's see what people who would they want to do business with Grasshopper capitalists, you know, or, because I'm not even going to call, shareholder capitalism is fine with me because shareholders deserve to make a return. So I think the the enemy is the grasshopper capitalists.
0: Yeah, and I guess dovetailing on that point, um, the idea of maximizing shareholder value is certainly a good concept, not necessarily the main strategic imperative, per se, when you have all these other constituents. But I think one of the fundamental problems that people have pointed out throughout history with regard to this just exclusive focus on shareholder value, is that to your point of hopping around, it leads to a lot of short-term decision-making to meet short-term objectives, as opposed to maybe necessarily thinking about the longer haul, because the the people involved in making those decisions may not be there if they don't survive the short-term turbulence of meeting earnings expectations, for example.
1: Well, the typical tenure of a CEO is under three years. Uh, they're just looking at how they can you know, quickly, not all of them, but the traditional CEO was not people-focused. They were bottom-line focused, and their orientation was three years. But, Dave, I think we have to kick out this notion that there's any kind of, that the shareholders are making any kind of sacrifice with stakeholder capitalism. They're not. Because at the end of the day, if the organization is clear about its values up front, very clear, and that's a fundamental element. Your brand, culture, and your values have to be aligned. And when they are, you're saying to your shareholders, this is what we stand for. These are the types of decisions we're going to make. This is how we're going to attack our business. If you don't like it, don't invest. Um, and likewise, with your employees, your customers, your distribution, and supply chain partners and your communities, if you're clear on your values, you're clear on how you're going to make money, You you can be true to all your stakeholders. I I think this whole notion that stakeholder capitalism is about dividing the pie in a different way, um, as Alex Edmonds, a professor of finance at London Business School likes to say, it's really about growing the pie, creating value, and aligning um, your investments with the, the people who actually contribute the results.
0: Yeah. Bruce, for folks watching and listening who want to learn more about you or they want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Well, that's nice of you uh, to offer. That's uh, the Enterprise Engagement Alliance. Our main site is at uh, theeea.org. That's T-H-E-E-A.org, um, or you can just Google Enterprise Engagement, and you'll find us one which way or another. And I uh, and I also can be found at Bolger at theeea.org.
0: Yeah, and I know, also know that you're pretty prolific on LinkedIn as well. Just yes, I am. Yep. We have about uh, just a couple more minutes to go in this first segment, Bruce, but I wanted to just maybe clarify or compare and contrast this concept of ESG investing, which is also another popular um, terminology that we're seeing in the investment space, uh, environmental or social governance. How does that either differ or dovetail with this concept of stakeholder capitalism?
1: Well they overlap. Um, uh, the S is social and environmental, social and governance. So enterprise engagement, the whole concept of stakeholder capitalism, um, embraces all of those areas, uh, E for environmental. S for social and G for governance. And the whole issue of environmental to me, just, you know, taking all politics again and concerns about climate change and all, let's just remove all of that. And we, our organization doesn't cover anything but the S, okay? We're not involved with environmental. But the whole notion, okay, I'm in a town here, a beautiful town on the Hudson River, uh, and we have a 26-acre toxic, toxic waste dump that's been there since 1960. It will take another five years to clean it up. It's costing billions of dollars. Um, And the companies, the shareholders, the CEOs that made the investment in that and that caused all that are long gone. So to me, it's not good for shareholders. So guess who's paying for this now? The shareholders of BP are paying $20 billion for decisions that were made 20, 30 years ago by people that are dead. So the whole notion of politicizing environmental issues to me is absurd. It's just following God's practice. You know, cleanliness is next to godliness. We don't have to, you can debate forever whether there's climate change. But Dave, if I move next door to you and I open and I decide I'm going to have a smoking, I'm going to start smoking up hams and put up 10 smokers and the smoke is wafting into your yard. That's just not good. That's not nice. So I don't really want to get into the environmental area. Uh, but uh, because it's not my area of expertise, but it's not good for shareholders to kick environmental and safety risks down the road. And that's another element of share of, pardon me, of grasshopper capitalists.
0: Yeah, it's pay now or pay later, right? So ultimately, right. you've got to pay and who, the piper. And I
1: think it's unfair to have the later folks pay.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good spot for us to take a commercial break. So folks in the production area, uh, we're going to pause here. Bruce, don't go anywhere. We'll pay a few bills and come right back and continue this conversation with Bruce Bolger.
1: This plus this equals this plus this and this. Don't drink and drive. Listen, what will make your event simply beautiful? Is it your attire? Your decorations? Your entertainment? Well, join me, Alicia Simone, as I chat with some amazing vendors and clientele who will share their stories and images and their experiences. Right here on RVN TV, Tuesday at 11.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 4 p.m it will be simply beautiful. See you then.
0: Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about stakeholder capitalism with the founder of the Enterprise Engagement Alliance, Bruce Bolger. Bruce, good stuff in that first segment. I want to kick off this uh, second segment with something that's timely, Um, just this week, uh, the SEC made an announcement regarding some human capital disclosures that are long awaited and uh, for some people they thought it was uh, a little bit weak in terms of well, what they ultimately offered. Uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what those disclosures are and your thoughts on just how far they've gone and where else they could go maybe.
1: Well, thanks, huh? and I'm one of the few big proponents of human capital that is, uh, is truly rejoicing over this, and I I agree with the critics that it isn't specific enough, but I think, ironically, the lack of specificity, specificity I should say, um, is going to be uh, regretted by um, the SEC in a way. But first, I think it's in a momentous move, and I personally give credit to, uh, to uh, SEC Chair uh, Jay Clayton, and again, we are totally nonpartisan. We just look at the facts, and he has been a, a major proponent of human capital. Uh, I've seen him give speeches on it where he's on the edge of tears. Uh, he's just, I think this is a remarkable accomplishment. Because here's what it's, SEC has said, in a word, that human capital is material to an organization's success. Material. That word has legal means I'm not an attorney. But when you state that something is material, you're basically saying that if you're not addressing that issue, you are at risk uh, of uh, meeting, you know, failing to meet your fiduciary responsibilities to your investors. Number two, um, everyone is upset, uh, those proponents are of human capital, that the only thing that the SEC has said is you must report your number of employees, and I'm um, paraphrasing, you must also report on those human capital resources and metrics that you are using uh, to drive your human to address your human capital issues. Now, he leaves it to the CEO to determine what he or she deems necessary. Now, we're in the time of COVID-19. We're in the time of Black Lives Matter, and you're going to tell me, there's a CEO on Earth who can say that people are not critical. Uh, and in a time when 70% of consumers and investors in a survey by Just Capital say that how pe- companies are treating people is important to them and that ESG funds are being flooded with money right now and are generally outperforming the S- even the, the, the rising stock market in popularity and in and return, uh, people are going to be looking at this. So you tell me... as I can just imagine what's happening in 3,900 public companies around the U.S. right now in the next coming weeks. The lawyer is going to come in to the CEO or the CFO and say, Oh, Joan, Jack, by the way, um, we now have to comply with this new regulation. Oh, what is that? You know, but we, we now have to state uh, the human capital practices and resources, including what we're doing to develop, attract, and retain employees we have to re- we have to now disclose those practices and metrics that we use to run our business uh to the extent that we consider them material uh to our success uh i can see a lot of hum and hum and hum is going on right now and if nothing else that's going to raise some very big philosophical questions it's So if a company cares about people, it's going to view it one way. Hmm. They might even view it as an opportunity and become aggressive and say, yeah, I'm going to go all out and I'm going to tell people a lot. And the companies that are grasshopper capitalists are going to be in a bind. Because if you put two paragraphs in there, Dave, with very little information, uh, that's going to speak volumes.
0: Yeah. And look, you know that I'm a finance guy, right? In, in valuation profession. And you also know that I'm somewhat of, I'll, I'll use the term evangelist that people have called me an evangelist for the value that people contribute to the value of a business enterprise. So, um, I'm with you. I'm, I'm happy with this. I didn't do cartwheels when I saw it, but I certainly did a little happy dance because I think it's the beginning of a first step, like you said, in acknowledging this, uh, I, I'm hopeful that it's gonna result in people winding up on a financial statement. And it's, it's not lost on me, like you said, that this announcement was made in the middle of a global pandemic. So all those things are, are what I would call signs pointing to positive. Um, in your statement there, you, you mentioned something, you alluded to this idea of metrics, right? So companies are gonna have to figure out what to disclose and how to disclose it. And I know you've got some thoughts on metrics, Bruce. Why don't you share those?
1: yeah you know that which gets measured gets done and i think the very big problem with the human resources field is that they focused on the social work aspect of their work and not on the business aspect and we really do if we're going to get resources invested in people um, companies have a right to know what the return on investment is. And there's been a general feeling that you couldn't measure human capital. Well, there are, you can measure human capital. And if you apply the very same processes that ISO, International Organization for Standardization, applied to transforming quality management in the 1990s, You can, there are multiple measures. And and in terms of people, there's about five really important measures that every company should have. And very few, very few have. I've, I've never run into a company that has them. And it's not just enough to have a metric and you have to act on it. But those metrics are human capital, return on investment, and that's a calculation of the extent to which you uh, you are getting an ROI on your investment in people, and it's actually a pretty simple calculation. And then human capital value add, the extent to which your human capital is contributing to your bottom line. And then your revenues, your costs uh, per customer and per employee and their willingness to refer, which is a measurement of engagement. Uh, And then your training and development effectiveness and your diversity and inclusion equity. Those are very five really important metrics that every company can track. And there are ways to compare them with other companies. There are different tools out there now that you can use to benchmark. And then you can use them over time to actually predict EBITDA performance. Your human capital ROI and value add has been shown to be able to actually predict EBITDA performance.
0: Yeah, and these that, are- that is
1: earnings performance.
0: Yeah, and these items that you mentioned, when you um, you think about the folks like Just Capital and others and the work that they've done, these items, when done correctly uh, in this whole spirit of, we'll call it stakeholder capitalism here, for lack of a better definition, um, they will those companies that do this will outperform their peers. There's empirical documented evidence. So why don't you speak to that, Bruce? Because this isn't just disclosure for the point of disclosure. My lens has always been. Doing the right thing around your human capital results in a greater enterprise value. You alluded to
1: it with EBITDA. Well, that's why I always use the word strategic and systematic, because the answer is not automatic. You know, the problem is with a lot of our human capital expenditures now, they're very ad hoc. I would define 90% of the company's uh, HR practices as ad hoc and reactive. It's very much like quality management was back in the 80s. There was a lot of talk of quality circles and uh, I forget all the lingo that was going on, but quality was not good in the U.S. And so you really, you can't just throw money at people. You have to have a strategic and systematic approach based on your brand, your vision, your values, your culture, and that alignment, right? And once you have that alignment, which is fundamental, then you can actually implement strategies that make sense. So, for instance, it's all about integrating with companies currently um, silo, you know, for instance, coaching, recruitment, learning, um, communications, rewards, recognition, uh, diversity, collaboration. These are processes that should be aligned, that should be interlocking. But at most companies, enormous amounts of money is wasted, inefficiencies, pol- politics are created because you have training doing one thing, the incentive people doing something else, uh, somebody's hiring these coaches, somebody's used getting an employee engagement survey, the employee engagement survey sits on the shelf. Um, and there's no measurement of anything and then, but then people don't want to lose their budgets. So they put in for them next year and the silly cycle of absurdity goes on. And this is true. I'm sorry. in about 80% of companies.
0: Yeah. Bruce, uh, how can folks get in contact with you if they want to learn more?
1: Uh, I, I, again, thank you. My uh, email is bulger at theeea.org. Uh, that dot T-H-E-E-A.org. And, of course, Google Enterprise Engagement, and you'll find me, or of course, on LinkedIn. Cool.
0: Uh, we've got about five minutes to go, Bruce. Um, I want to cop- cover at least two topics here. One is with regard to who ultimately should be responsible for managing these metrics, implementing these metrics inside an organization. My spider sense tells me you're likely to say it's the CFO, but let me know if I'm wrong.
1: Uh, your spider sense is probably right. Uh, the CEO, of course, has to leave. If, if the CEO is not behind the effort uh, and continually behind the effort, um, it will not work. Uh, and I think the CEFO is the best um, person to help coordinate because, you see, it doesn't just involve HR. It also involves marketing, sales, customer service, operations. So that's why we call it enterprise engagement. You, you cannot silo your brand and your culture. If you do, uh, that's where you get this misalignment and um, et cetera. Uh, so um, the key is to have everything in alignment, uh, focused on the same goals. And the CFO, I think, is the person best suited for that.
0: Yeah, not surprised. surprising. Uh, the point of aligning brand and culture is something that uh, is certainly a strategic imperative that every organization needs to get right. Let's talk a little bit about the future. If you could look into your crystal ball, because I know you've been doing this, you've been at this, evangelizing this for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Now that we've finally gotten some SEC uh, input with regard to disclosures, where do you see this, what we'll call it a movement heading going
1: forward? Oh, well even though I've been at it longer than anybody, just about who's alive. There are a few, I think, uh, I don't know whether Tom, yeah, Tom Peters is still alive. And I think he's, uh, you know, Don Peppers or other people that are still alive. They didn't call it stakeholder capitalism, by the way, but, um, you know, they they promoted those principles. I've uh, seen many false summits, um, you know, as a hiker, a false summit is when you think you're at the top and you're not. Um, and I've seen so many of them in the 30 years uh, because it's such common sense you think why aren't businesses run this way you know just obvious um, uh, but I'm more never been more optimistic and I I hate to say it I think uh, again disruption causes change and I think this would have happened anyway but it would have taken about 10 more years um, but everything that's happening is compressing things and i and Many experts are saying that things that would have taken 10 years are going to take about two. And what's going to really drive it, um, uh, Dave, is digitalization. Um, because here's the reality. A company can now run, in a sense, a cable into the phone of every single employee. And I can't believe that every company doesn't have this. Even a tiny company can benefit because it's so inexpensive and powerful. You know, these, they're called employee engagement or enterprise engagement apps or portals. And it's the ability to have everything about your organization on an app. And that includes your vision, your brand, your values, the ability for employees to provide feedback, surveys, a learning center, tests, quizzes, gamification, rewards, recognition, and social recognition. Uh, all of these things now can be uh, placed in an app uh, or a, on a you know a website uh, that employ or software a sas you know software process and so we can literally today connect with every employee every customer every distribution partner engage them and measure it and compare it to performance and i think and we're at the very beginning of that i i would say the engagement field is early early stage and you will see an enormous investment in digitalization Um, across the enterprise in the next two to four years. And that ironically will drive it from a practical standpoint where the social issues of COVID and the dissatisfaction with capitalism will drive it from a higher level.
0: Yeah, I'm also optimistic that uh, although these disclosures may be deemed to be tepid by some standards, that the companies that are doing the right thing are going to be more forthcoming in these kinds of disclosures to make an example of themselves. And that may lead others to, to think a little bit more deeply about their disclosures, too. So that's my lens. Bruce, we are out of time here on Behind the Numbers. Uh, things go very fast. And this was a really fun and enlightening conversation. I want to thank you for joining us today.
1: No, It's my pleasure. And thank you very much, Dave.
0: Hopefully, we'll have you back again in the future as these things continue to unfold. We've been talking stakeholder capitalism today with Bruce Bolger, who's the founder of the Enterprise Engagement Alliance. My name is Dave Bookbinder. If you'd like to learn more about me or reach out to have a conversation, you can find me on all social media platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're watching and listening and you've enjoyed this content, please hit the subscribe button so that you can stay abreast of all that we're up to going forward. That's it for today. I will see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.